I'm Django. And I'm Nana. And we're joined by Manny Luisi, our producer. So, Mom, mm-hmm. I want to give you full permission over the course of, of the recording of this episode to make fun of me for being slow, if at any point I am, um, <laughs> because last night after... This is, this is big news. I've got permission. You've got permission. I'm, I'm going to try to use it as much as I can. Well, I already noticed like 10 times today, even just talking before we started, you'd, you'd be telling me something and I'd be just kind of looking at you and I go... Oh, okay. Because I, I didn't sleep last night. Um, Why? Uh, Bad or good? Well, I don't know. I mean, I just I I had had, uh, uh, like, I remember when I was like nineteen or first two years of college, I just had this every night where I'd go to bed and then I just think of every creative thought. Like I'd, I'd, I'd play out everything I was doing creatively or for work mm. in that moment. And who knows if those ideas are the, are the ones worth keeping, you know, like if, if those are the strong ideas. So I always, I always let them happen because I, I also can't fight it. It's like, I'm, I'm helpless to, to maybe, maybe ADD. Well, I don't think you're helpless, but here's the thing. Uh, some of the greatest uh, thinkers of our times and times before our times have really on purpose gone into a half sleep because uh, one, I can't remember who it was, but they would hold a glass of water and, and purposely start to fall asleep so that when the water fell, he would remember the last thing he was thinking about because creative thoughts do come when you um, are in a half sleep Mm. because you start to, I think you start to depress your prefrontal cortex and your subconscious and all this information that's inside of you Mm. starts to come out. So, I, I mean, that's a real thing that interesting creative thoughts can come then. But maybe if you put awareness around that and had a pencil and paper as as simplistic as that sounds by your bed so that you wrote them down when you had them and that's it. Mm. Get three ideas out and you're done. Mm. Sometimes it feels like it just doesn't, won't stop. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I, I actually just read this morning, uh, and I, I didn't even think of it cause I'm too much of a zombie today, but that the, the critical part of your brain is, is most quiet right after you wake up or right before you go to sleep. So, and that's the the prefrontal cortex is... Is the critical part of your brain. It's quiet. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. You know, I just, I was listening to um, a wonderful psychologist who was explaining mindfulness, and it's not about stopping thoughts. It's just the opposite. It's about saying, yeah, come on, come on. All of you, come on. And teaching yourself to have resilience to them. 
going, yeah, I'm scared and I can survive this, which is just about what everybody does uh, in, in, well, in theater, in war, and you know, what it, whatever the, the scary thing is, they're scared and they do it anyway mm. and they make it through. It's, it's sometimes anxiety for us is the fact that we are scared of having a thought. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we try to suppress that instead of going, oh, yeah, come on. Absolutely. I, I'd, I'd say one of, the, one of the most freeing things with my own anxiety lately has just been like welcoming everything, feeling everything. That's it. But the thing is, when, when, I'm, when I'm tired or, or, or half, half awake as I am now, if I miss a night of sleep, I, I just start to think about like, oh, I should be feeling everything. And then I obsess over that notion of feeling everything. And I'm, I'm not even feeling things anymore. I'm just telling myself to feel everything, you know? You're like putting it's, yourself under huge stress to experience it all instead of just experiencing the present moment because hmm. that's whatever is there. And anything else is manufacturing. Hmm. And that's like rehearsing a scene over and over again mm. and and then performing it it's performative it's not anything that's you know truthful in you 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 have to stay in the present moment and just experience whatever is there good bad mm. ugly go all right and he took us it, it, i was listening to him on this um lecture that he did and he took us through a thing saying think of the thing that gets you most anxious uh, okay, now, feel it in your body. Where is it? And for me, it's always in my chest. And he said, put your hand in the place that you feel the anxiety and say, welcome, welcome. So funny, because I was, I was tossing and turning, and at 4.30, um, my, my, my girlfriend told me, told me to put my hand on my heart and say, I, I, I'm accepted or something like that. And it put me to sleep to just um, to just find that self-love. And even when you said that, the, the reminder to be present, I felt I felt how tense my muscles were mm. coming into this, mm. you know, and I felt I felt um, buzz in my ear uh, disappear somehow. So it's like it, it, immediately with a reminder. Um, it, it's a, it's a huge thing. And to say, oh, I'm anxious. I will survive this. And once we do it over and over and over again and allow ourselves to be nervous or to feel like we're going to fail and do it anyway, mm. a couple of things happen. First of all, we see that if we fail, it, it's not so bad. Mm. And we also, if, and if we don't fail, we start to trust ourselves. Whichever happens, we gain resilience. And pretty soon... Because anxiety starts to, if you, if you do avoidance with anxiety, your world gets smaller and smaller and smaller. You have to avoid things that are going to challenge you. Instead of going, yeah, I'm, I'm built for this. I am actually physically, as a human, built for this. Mm. That mentality, even in, in the creative process of, of making music, is such a killer, you know, because you can, you can, you can start to to create with with the audience in mind and with with you know it, it's yeah. so funny because you have to you have to balance between like thinking that what you're going to do is going to be worthwhile you know 
and and then also thinking that it's okay to fail and that it doesn't matter what like that worthwhile is a an intangible thing you know what i mean yeah like, worthwhile it, no it, art any kind of art is a, a creative force and if you put it out into the world people will have responses and reactions and even if they hate it that's enough that's something mm. they're having a they're interacting with your art and really the only thing you need to do is have it be worthwhile to you have it be what you mean hmm. to me that's all it is okay so question yeah have you always been good at setting boundaries no no and i still struggle with it i i have to remind myself of that daily uh because i grew up in a household that was chaotic and without boundaries it was it was like in the fabric of me to mm. be that way and to have boundaries was to be selfish have having boundaries was to be not loving um and really it's just the opposite when you have boundaries you let people know who you are and what's okay if you don't have boundaries at a certain point you have to run away mm -hmm. because you can't take it anymore absolutely yeah it's How difficult you? It, you know i'm getting i'm getting better i'm i'm that's been a big lesson of i think my my current life is figuring out like i i talk about sometimes but a what what it is that i want and what it is that i need and then b finding a way to communicate that to people and the 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 thing is for me in in my current stage it it always feels really difficult to because i put so much weight on boundaries it's very difficult what does that mean what do you mean because I'm thinking about it so much because I'm, I'm so aware of them because, you know, because you're it's, learning it's them? a learning process yes. for me. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I feel like I can't bring it up in a casual way, you know? And then, and then if you're, if you're saying something like, Hey, I, this is a need of mine, you know, and you have experience doing that, it's easy and it's understood, you know, but if, if you don't, it's a bit shakier and it's a bit scary, you know, because people's feelings are involved and you could you could hurt somebody by saying something but what usually happens if you don't as the issues come up and you you know in a, in a new relationship and you're setting boundaries it's part of the again the fabric of the relationship it's it's okay everyone can accept that but if you don't set the boundaries, usually that boundary will come out yelling. <laughs> it's what I've done. <laughs> Suddenly I'm screaming that, you know, and as if they should have known that that's how I felt. Hmm. Yeah. It, and, and that's part of the thing too, expecting people to be mind readers. If they love you, they should know this about you. No, no, not at all. So what have, what have you learned about, maybe how to set boundaries or or how how to remind yourself to set boundaries and when to set boundaries you know i've found uh as they come up and one of the there are a couple of phrases that are great that work for me um and one of them is oh that that doesn't work for me in professional circumstances you know or or saying here's what i need Here's what will make this work for me. 
Um, it, it, not saying what doesn't work, but what does work. Mm. Offering what is what you need in life. I think that's a really good thing. Also, in personal relationships, there ha you have to, I believe, you have to do it with real vulnerability, not with aggression, mm. not with, I am setting a boundary. It's not a line in the sand. You know, and I think sometimes people think that that's what it is. You know, and don't you cross that line. It's, this is who I am. And this is how, how I work, you know. And it's part of getting to an intimate relationship. Hmm. Does that resonate? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just think, I think if, if, if you don't, if you don't have, if you don't have experience with it, it's a difficult thing to get into. It is. And, and, I, and I think you learn it in a family and you didn't learn it from me because I didn't have it back then mm. at all in terms of work, in terms of anything. I thought if someone asked something of me, I need to find a way to give it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where I was. Mm -hmm. And of course, that is so not sustainable. <laughs> it's, and, and it's anxiety ridden. And it ended up making me feel as if I counted less, as if I was, as if I was Soylent Green. You'll never know that. You'll never know what that means. Soylent is a reference to a novel, right? It, it was a movie. W it the was movie, a movie was called Soylent, or what was the Soylent movie called? Soylent Green. Oh, and okay. it, it was that you were food. You mm -hmm. were food for other people. You didn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, that That's the feeling that I had. It was like, oh, it doesn't matter what I go through. I need to make this good for everybody else. Oh, my God. Not a good way to walk on this earth. It's very difficult. And I have friends who, who do it so uh, simply. And they've learned as well, you know, so it's aspirational to me. But, like, I, I see the way that they can just say no to even hanging out with friends, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if the whole group is hanging out yep, and there's pressure for it to be at your house or something like that. And they're like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go. There's so much power in that. And I, I accept it, you know? So it, it's just something for me to get over feeling like my boundaries are not worth accepting. Yeah. Well, you know how you get over it? Hmm. Just do it. And, and not emotionally, but just say, you know what? I need sleep or whatever, instead of saying, no, I don't feel like it, maybe, it, just say, I, I got to take care of myself here. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. and, and just do it many times. So maybe we should talk a little bit about what... The fights? The fights, <laughs> the, the joy, just the experience of, of you know, because, because this podcast is, is something that it requires a, a lot of attention and, and loving attention and kind attention. But it's also something that we're sharing as, I mean, the kind of point of it is that we're both different people, you know, yeah. and, and we come from, from different generations. And I, I, I think it would be interesting to, to talk about what we've been feeling. I have no dirty laundry to air. I, I've, I've told you everything that I feel, but, but the things that have come up and the things that we're, we're working through as our relationship evolves, I yeah. think is the right way to put it. Well, 
first of all, I don't think there is dirty laundry in in terms of feelings and you know between people. I it's like talk about it. Whatever it is, you know, talk about it. Here's the interesting thing, Django, that just occurred to me. My grandmother worked with my mother, um, your grandmother. They worked on stage together in vaudeville. Then my father and mother worked together. And then I worked with my father and mother. Uh, I used to demonstrate class for mama, and I worked in several of daddy's uh, productions, uh, one of them a Broadway show. And I find it, the collaborating with family, I had such a tight relationship, especially with my mother, because not only did I know her as my mother, I knew her in a professional way. I knew what other people thought of her. I knew what I thought of her. And we worked out some hard kinks during that time. What was expected of me, what I expected of her. Um, and here we are, and it's one of my favorite things to do is to collaborate with someone that I love and respect hmm. because it's a whole, it's like diving down to where, you know, you know, in the ocean where things can get creepy and, and you can get, what is it, the bends? You know, if you go too fast, it all gets kind of dangerous. Um, and yet, if you are careful with each other, there's such an intimacy and a deep knowledge. So I, it's kind of like, I always think it's ancient. It's like the blacksmith teaching his son. You know, mm. it's it's this sharing of of something you do. There's nothing like it. I have to say, I, like I, well, I've always grown up knowing that you worked with um, your family, and that that's been a huge part of your experience. And I guess our bloodline. It's something I ran from, though. Huge. You, you, we. I know. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't even go to a, a class that you were in because it was like. <laughs> It's all too close. I don't want to be. I don't want to be judged by my family, you know, for uh, my for my for my professional mannerisms, you know. Yeah. But but it, it you know it's it is really educational, and um, I I think that we're we're doing it really well, and you know, because we're having some some difficult conversations at times. Yeah, we have very different ways of working, mm. um, and. I'm ingrained in a very, you know, exacting, you try to get the best product out and you look at it and you think about it and do all this stuff. And you have been trying to loosen me up and that would make me crazy and my exacting attitude made you crazy. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you, after, what was it, a day of arguments? <laughs> a day, but talk to you about things see this is the thing I revealed to myself because I had to communicate it to you what was important to me and why it was important to me so it wasn't just an exercise to get you to understand in the end it seems but I got myself to understand mm. And so I kind of felt closer to both of us. Hmm. I felt more 
uh, sure of what my motivations were because mm. I had to dig for them because you always require that. <laughs> but I also got from you, there may be another way. And investigate why. Why does it have to be that why? way? Why is the light coming in from the window when you shot me doing the the? Just for drink? everyone to know. Yeah. I I I. <laughs> Mom asked for me to shoot a video of her doing the the cocktails, and I. I I made a I made a mistake. I I I put the camera up on the tripod. And I, I, I just, I, I just saw like, okay, it's straight, you know, it's a good, good, you know, to me, okay, it's, it's interesting. There's a big glaring window, but we could, no one's going to notice that. <laughs> um, and I press record and I sat down on the couch while you, while you did it. And in, in my mind, it's so good to just throw, throw things away, you know, which, which it has to do a lot with my, my, my feelings toward 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 vanity my own personal journey with vanity mm. you know my own mm -hmm. personal thing of like it doesn't matter how how you how you look you know like I, I like to dress nice but I don't like to worry about how I look I think that's the thing I, I will I will suffer no negative feelings about how I'm presenting myself but I'll do what makes me feel good see and that's the thing we kill me anytime I say, oh my God, my hair was out of place or I don't have the right makeup on and we have to do it again. Please, it's, I've lost who I am and there's just a, a body here and no soul. But yeah, I, it, I, I understand where that comes from for you, but it's really about the art of focusing people. I so love the art of focusing focus on this thought, focus on this picture, not focus on the light coming through the window, mm. you know? Mm. So mm -hmm. I try to it, it take away anything that would distract. And that, and that was my point. But in the, in having to explain that over and over to you. <laughs> <laughs> we're I, both, we're both stubborn people. Oh yeah. Or uh, I mean, I don't want to cut you off, but I have a question when you're finished. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, right. go ahead. Um, you talked about your 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 mom and 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 you having having discussions when when you both started working together, and I I guess because we'd never really spoken so intimately about this stuff, I I, I have no idea what what any of that would have would have been. Is that too is that too personal? Oh, no, that's something that no no. Do you remember it? Do you, do you remember the shape of, of those discussions? The shape of it was my mother used me and she was a very famous ballet teacher. She coached stars on Broadway and in films. And people who didn't dance came to her class just to hear the things she said. She was pretty remarkable, and it was interesting. She could be insecure and messed up outside the studio. The minute she crossed, and I could see it happen, she, it was like she was channeling, but really what she was do is doing is going into flow state, one of my favorite subjects. But Mine too now, by the way. Excellent. I, say. I love hearing that. But she was going into a flow state where she allowed all her knowledge to come out and she was deeply, deeply wise. So she used me to demonstrate. And as uh, so I would 
show these professional dancers. When I was 18, 19, and God, I took with her for 20 years. Um, when did you start? Uh, I, I started taking with her regularly probably when I was 17. Yeah, 17, because that's when I started to work and I started to take class. I wish I had started before, but I didn't. So I would, I knew all the, the, the exercises and all the little choreographed dance things for the middle of the, you know, when you danced across the floor. And she would do like little tiny ballets. And I mistook it for having to be perfect. Mm. I thought I had to do it so right. I had to do it for her. And I put myself under enormous pressure to the point where I'd get angry with her and, you know, walk out. And, and she took years, it took years for me to understand that I was there to demonstrate what was right and what was wrong. So people could clearly see where I was struggling and go, it's human, it's okay, keep working on this, because that was very much her philosophy. And it was an egotistical journey for me until she got that through my head. But she did it so gently. So what was it in the end about being human? That I could demonstrate it, and if I did it wrong, if I fell out of a pirouette, that was a moment for her to talk to everybody mm. because everybody falls out of a pirouette. If my arms were wrong, it was an opportunity. Everything I did was an opportunity for her to teach. It wasn't about me being perfect. It wasn't about here's the perfect way to do this dance. Mm. Now try to meet that. This is the way I want it. It was all a way for her to go, this is the journey of the dancer. Hmm. So let's look at it all, whether you do it right, whether you do it wrong, whether you fall, let's look at it and see what I can help you with. Hmm. So were you the one putting the pressure on yourself Absolutely. to be perfect? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Ego. Hmm. Ego. And I thought that's what it was about. I really thought it was about being perfect and performing. Um, and she was very gentle. It took me years to understand that. And to have a sense of humor about myself and have a sense of humor of being in front of a class of 50 people and failing, mm. you know? But that's, that's a very difficult position to be, to be putting you into. And it's not at all what we're, what we're dealing with. Yeah. But, but that, that, it was, that, that is, um, and maybe that's the way that she could teach you something about, about real life, you know? Uh, but, but it, it, it seems, it does seem to me to be intensified that that seems that seems pretty you know i'm like tightening my body right now yeah um that no it was it was it was i i was anxious and i was not as trained i mean these were people from dance companies from merce cunningham and here i am a, a newbie and you know i i go well back in the day i'd always go if i went to an acting audition I'd always feel like, well, I'm really a dancer, so, but if I, you know, it, it was, it was always, and if I was, no, wait a minute, is that what I mean? If I went, if you went to an audition, an audition you'd say, I was I a know, dancer, a, yeah. and if I was in class, I'd go, well, I'm really an actor, 
so that whatever it was, I was giving myself a low bar because I was so anxious. Mm. I came from a dance family. Mm. For God's sake, Sid Charisse being my aunt. And back then, everyone knew Sid Charisse's name. Now, not so much, unless you watch old movies. I just got a call yesterday from someone who was like, I, I just thought of you because I, I saw something Sid Charisse was in. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. It happens all the time. Yeah. So it was, it was, yes, I was intimidated. And my father was an amazing dancer. He, when he, he had such ballon, which means how much you can get off the ground when you jump. There was three feet between him and the floor. He was spectacular. And my father used to demonstrate for my mother. So it was... There, there was, there was that tension. Interestingly enough, when I worked with my father, that tension didn't exist. But in my mother's class, I think my father and I were a little bit. There was a tension there. Is that because? Why do you think? Why do you think it disappeared with you and your father? Uh, because he was in charge, and I knew how that worked. I knew how to be, you know, a dancer, a good soldier. Mm. and drop everything else and make uh, what he was working on the most important thing and try to make that as good as possible, which is what everyone does, you know, whatever the, the focus is, the, the dance, the, the, the scene, you try to make that the best it can be. Um, but in my mother's class, I think he was the one who used to demonstrate, and I think he thought he did it better. And frankly, he was the better dancer, so he was right. Mm. But there was something about the way I danced that my mother loved, mm. and that used to piss him off a little, too. That used to piss him off? Yeah, yeah, when he was in class, only when he was in class. Mm. It was like, oh, but, but her arms aren't right, but she's not doing this. But my mother loved my life force. Mm. Yeah, so I mean, for me, it's just like I've said this to you before, but it's 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 um, it's an adaptation to to you know do something with you where we we I really think I'm so grateful for our relationship, you know, because I I'm so empowered by it, and I always have been, you know, um, always will be, um, but but it's difficult to to step into the professional mindset with that, you know. It is. And, and it's a, it's a, it's a growth and we're like different people that we haven't met. It, Here yeah. we are at work and now this is different. This is a different human. Yeah. Yeah. You see me after work. Well, you, you know what? I, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's that for me and, or it has been that for me. It's been a shock and it's been like, whoa, what's this, what's this new change? But, but it's an adaptation that I think will eventually result in, or is already beginning to result in, in kind of like a, a new, a new step, you know, like, it's like, we're here in a good place. And then we're, we're challenged by this, by this notion of, of introducing our new selves. And then the, uh, the joy of being understood in, in both of those identities mm. is, yeah. is, is an extreme evolution, I feel. You know. Also, it goes back to what we were talking about before um, that I'm not sure if it was on, if, if we were actually recording then, 
but we were talking about, yeah, we were. Um, there's no fear. We can argue, we can disagree, and I feel really secure in knowing we're going to come back to here. Yeah. And that is a huge gift. Mm. No one's running, no one's get, nothing's getting lost, nothing's irretrievable. Mm. We can really make ourselves heard, have those boundaries you're talking about, and come back to here. Yeah. And by the way, it, you know, you know, but I, I, I never, I never really bring things up in, in intentionally to like jab or do anything. Talking about boundaries had yeah. nothing to do with us. It's oh, just no. been something that I've no. been thinking about more lately. But should we talk about this article that I, I read? Yeah, this affected me a lot. Um, writer Marie Claire Chappé in Stylist wrote an article called What's the Point? And it's a picture of this young woman face planted on what I think is her bed. And it's, well, let me, let me just, I jotted down how she started it. It's 2022, and the Roe v. Wade news feels like a flotilla that has arrived late in the day after several other catastrophes that have trumpeted before it, throwing a confetti cannon of awful in its path. In a highlight reel of the past six years we've had, and she goes and says all the horrible things that have happened, uh, her, her point is uh, she's talking about this idea of dissociativeness in uh, it's actually cross-generational but it's affecting youth even more and what was interesting to me about what she wrote a flotilla and catastrophes trumpeting and throwing a confetti cannon she's talking about horrible things and yet in her writing she is doing exactly what she's talking about it's uh separating from the real feelings that she has about the state of the world and going to this place of, uh, you know, almost light cocktail conversation. And mm. it's a parade and it's funny. How funny. Um, but she says that nihilism has become an aesthetic with the young, especially uh, that, um, well, look, it started way before these last six years. It started with the crash of 2008, and young people started to feel like, well, what's the point? I can't get the house my parents have. Child care, what, what am I supposed to do? Getting the job, you go to college and then you don't get the job, or it's not what it used to be. Um, so there's, there's a lot of reasons. Um, a 2021 survey, and this was in the UK, found that half the millennials and Gen Xers, Gen Zers actually, they feel anxious or stressed almost all the time. And another study found that depression among teenagers has doubled in a decade. And she talks about that this has become, on social media, it's become something that is um, performative. That there are all these young women on Instagram, on TikTok, that do the dissociative pout. 
This is actually something that another uh, writer, Rain Fisher Kwan, talked about in ID. Um, and I, I was looking at the pictures. It's true. It's this big-lipped, dead-eyed look at the camera or away from the camera. They are cut off from themselves. And she calls it lobotomized chic. Um, the scary thing is that I remember this happening before. And in the 1990s, it was heroin chic. And this actually makes me so angry when I think about it. But high fashion magazines used to do these um, shoots of models looking, you know, with dark circles under their eyes, skinny. It was, it looked like they had just done heroin, right? Mm. And there were lots of people around going, this is a good idea. This is a good idea to, 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 to send to young women to go, yeah, this is, this is the cool thing to do. The, one of the models that started it all, Gina, famously died of an overdose. You know, it was going on then. And yes, this is a hard time. And the difficult thing, I do it myself. It's hard not to dissociate. But to put it into social media is teaching 13-year-olds to ape these women who look like they don't, you know, they talk like this and they don't know what their feelings are and they really couldn't care less. Well, uh, in, in defense of that, in defense of that right now, you, you kind of have two options, you know, in a way. It's like you can either feel everything and be everything, you know. You, you can experience this war and you can experience the, the, the stock market and you could experience the vi all the, all the, all the terrible things or, or you can almost, if you're lucky, honestly, I feel like for youth, shut off to it. Well, yes. And I understand them choosing that. The issue is that cause I, in, in trauma, I dissociated. Absolutely. And it became a neat trick. And what ends up happening is you go around living your life in a trance. You are not present. And instead of feeling everything, here, here's the difference quickly between empathy and compassion. Empathy is feeling what others are feeling. And I think that's what people who want to watch news all day, every day, and take in everything about the war and everything that's bad that's happening, they feel guilty if they are not experiencing the same pain. The difference between empathy and compassion, empathy, you're not doing anything. Compassion, you are moved to act. So if you are just feeling everything, you're just going to burn yourself out. You're, you're not going to be of any use to anybody, especially yourself. But if you feel compassion the way a fireman, the reason a fireman is able to go into a burning building scary as hell is because compassion is from a different part of your brain and you have a goal and you have a focus and you go, there's somebody up there, you're, you're not you're not activating your nervous system. You're saying, I have a job to do and I'm going to do it because I care about them. 
they feel the empathy, but they move through empathy to compassion, which is an active emotion. And actually, the body provides chemicals to help you focus and to help activate you when you feel compassion. So for people, for a young woman, instead of feeling empathy and watching the news all day, every day, do one thing. What are your values? What are you good at? Do the smallest thing just to start toward whatever, choose one <laughs> terrible thing going on and do something toward it. Do something to be part of the solution. But I, this is a weird thought, but I, I almost feel like, I almost feel like social media and the media in general is like, you know, what's popular is more representative of like what the government might be experiencing than what human beings are experiencing. Because I, I feel like very rarely, you know, I've, I've actually seen it with a musical artist. I, 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 I like their music a lot, so I'm not going to say them, but, but it, it, this girl started off and, and she was really, uh, sweet and, and, um, um, made, made like beautiful cover songs and everything. And then she started in this band and they did like a darker sound and her whole aesthetic shifted and it was for the success of the project. And, yeah. and it's because I feel like, I feel like these media figures, like it's, it's really, it's really weird to me that Pete Davidson is, uh, a thing. I, and, and it's like everybody I talk to doesn't understand it. You know, every, there's nobody who's like, yeah, I've, yeah, I love Pete Davidson. Like, I, I, I no offense to the guy, but I, I just, in terms of him being one of the top cultural decision makers in this moment, it's more like our government saying we're de we're depressed right now, or 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 you know like this that we we are we're like when when the fashion shoots do that. I don't know because I, I everybody I meet ev most people I meet are are you know they're they're doing their best to not experience every catastrophe to the fullest degree cuz that's not sustainable but the media has made a noticeable shift to to prioritize individuals that that represent exactly what you're saying like nihilism and pouty um oh yes i'm not here face and i i <sighs> But I think... I think that's just like... And this is a weird thing to say because more people are doing it now than ever before. But there were, all, there were always emo, emo kids. There were always yes. emo kids. And I feel like those people are being platformed like in a snap of a finger, like Pete Davidson, Machine Gun Kelly. It's like all of the agents of Hollywood said, get out of your relationships right now. America's sad. Get with, get with the heroin chic guys. Stat, you know? And, and, and so now they're all married to the most powerful women in Hollywood. I, do, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's about money. I think it's about, look, the, the nonstop, one of the most difficult, we are not built. I, I read in this uh, stylist article, which is really, I urge everyone to read it, uh, that one psychologist said, look, we're not built. Our nervous systems were not built to take on this kind of stress, and we haven't figured out a way to handle it yet. Mm. So we have to handle it. Mm. We have to put ourselves on a diet. We have to 
make sure that we are caring for ourselves because it was in the 1990s, I believe, that this 24-hour news system started. And, you know, a, a lot of people got ground down under that wheel because the minute they needed to fill the airwaves all day, every day, you know, what's, what's uh, the most interesting? Some woman, you know, Marsha Clark was famously just being made fun of, and she was... Uh, the prosecutor in the O.J. Simpson trial, and she she would get just vilified. They would talk about her hair. What skirt is she wearing? How dare she? Her divorce. It, every move of her life because they needed product. So, And that's what happens to this day. We need product. Even if they have to gin it up, they're going to give it to us. And that's about money. That's the thing. These young women here's an interesting thing the article talked about uh girls versus fleabag if you've seen either one of those television shows girls lena dunham was uh, very emotional all over the place it was all about her emotions um and from there we go to fleabag where she's the the heroine is so dissociated, she's actually telling us how she's going to respond, in in a flat tone. So and and people go, oh wow, that's cool. Okay, so the cool girl is really flat, and nothing bothers her, and that's okay. Well, first of all, that's a lot easier for everyone else to take, isn't it? If you don't have someone going, wait a minute, wait a minute, this isn't okay. And you have someone who goes, yeah, whatever. It's just the way it is. Give me another cigarette. That's easier to lead around. That's the fear I have about the young going into a dissociative trance. Because you need to stay connected to your emotions, your values, your purpose, what you're good at, and contribute. Because the other type, the other, the other option. Well, I know that there's a middle ground, and I, like, I, I think that a lot of us are experiencing that. But like, the alternative at the moment is like, when you're feeling everything, when you're letting it all happen to you, and you're engaged with the world, mm -hmm. and that mostly happens when you're not doing something about it. Even a small thing makes a difference. But I'm just saying, even even if you do that, there's no end to. Identity is so vast for youth. I feel mm. like I, yes. identity, identity, and 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 that notion has opened up in 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 such a crazy way that I understand why these two different camps are 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 gaining so much momentum. Being like on one side, I I don't want to feel or experience much at all, and on the other side. I want to experience and feel everything right. and be everything and 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 that's a lot of decisions. It's that's so a many lot decisions of and emotional and energy. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's um, almost too big a plate. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I think I I think I know what can help. I think people turn to culture to figure out to help figure out who they are and they need to look in first 
they need to get acquainted with who they are and be okay with that. Just start being okay with your feelings, with, you know, whatever you think your failings are. They're okay. They're human. You're human. Start there. What, what was it like for you as a, a kid? Like, do you, or even young adult, when you were my age, what, what was the, the temperature of, of, of people around? Well, we had just come out of, well, I was born in 57, so I went through the 60s, which was terrifying for me as a child because nothing felt safe. It felt like, mm, don't know uh, if the family's going to blow up because free love and everything, and it's all weird. Uh, there are no rules. It felt like chaos, and there was a lot of spiritualism, too, um, you know, People did seances all the time in the circles my family ran in and, and believed in all that stuff. And it affected me where I couldn't figure out where I was safe. And when you don't feel safe, it, you can't really do anything else. <laughs> you, you have to feel safe to be able to accomplish anything. So the 60s was threatening the 70s for me wasn't much better. It was a call to arms for women, you know, meet men at the patriarchal line and, uh, you know, you've got it. But here was the weird thing. It, it, do everything men do, but keep doing what you're doing too. Keep looking good and have dinner on the table and do, so do all of it. And we were told that it was possible we were also told from, I was, I totally listened to culture. I didn't know who I was. I read Cosmo magazine to find out how to be a woman, which was one of the worst places, in my opinion, I could have gone. And it taught me to be performative. You want to do well, be a woman, do your job, but know how to please a man. And these, you've got to look like this and this and this and this. And I ended up anorexic. And I remember when it all got too much for me. And I lived in New York City. And it was very common uh, for, it, it got rough toward the end of the 70s. And, uh, but there were always men, you know, calling after you, doing this and that. At the end of the 70s, I remember there'd be these roving gangs of boys. They could be young, they could be older. And if you got caught at a cross street and they came around you, they did whatever they wanted. And that happened to me. And I remember going to mama and saying, I want to look like a raven. Cut all my hair off so I look like I have feathers and not hair. And from that time on, I mostly had short hair. Mm. And that was, a, that was a cultural adjustment for me to, I don't think I wanted to really look like a bird. I just wanted it to stop. Mm. I wanted to feel free again. Like I was human and okay to walk in the street and smile at somebody. Or, and, and it was all so dangerous. When I moved to L.A., in the 80s, I unpacked my suitcase and I realized everything I had was either black 
or camouflage. And it was to be not seen. I remember you had the um, skull bracelets or skull jewelry. You had a lot of skull jewelry. That was all a Pretty reaction. Cool. Yeah, but it was all a reaction to, you know, going, you know what? Don't mess with me. Don't look at me. Don't have ideas of me. And I think that all my hairstyles, when I had half white and half black hair, uh, then I was in my late 40s. I, no, I was in my 50s. And I, I felt like I was going, don't have assumptions of who I am in my 50s. It, it, mm. don't, don't look at me. And that's, that wasn't who, I think I'm becoming who I am now. Mm. And partly because I feel free to, and partly because it feels like a political act. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, individualism right now is the craziest thing that you could you could do. But isn't it like I, I almost feel like because so many people they don't we don't all have emotional maturity enough to deal with everything that's going on right now. So it's like in a way nihilism is a, is a, is a gift of a notion to me. To me, in 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 where I am, I'm like, oh God, you know, you say that thing about. Uh, being able to have a family or, or being able to do what your, 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 your parents did. Like, I don't think I'm ready to have a family for another five or six or seven years <laughs> just because it takes financial independence and like a home and yada, yada. So, I, I've but got, I got so much to say about that. But first of all, nihilism is a turning away. I think dissociating is a turning away and not going, yeah, I'm going in. But we can't, we can't go and therapize everybody no. in the country. And, and in a way it's like a, it's like a, a, a gift of, okay, here, here's a way that you can get through maybe, you know, just, just shutting off a little bit, you know, because, because it, it does seem definitely the darkest moment I've ever lived through. No, it, it, it is. It, this is a tough moment in the world. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Uh, I've lived 65 years. This, this is tough. Um, although when I was five years old, you know, it was getting under the desk because we were going to get bombed. Mm. Um, it, it, and I knew what that was about and I knew what would happen and that anyone thought that these little wooden desks would protect us is kind of amazing to me with a nuclear bomb. <laughs> but but the point is gaining resilience. The, it becomes a habit, like turning to a drug to deal with something. Mm. It becomes a habit, and it becomes a bigger problem than the first problem. We need to get resilience. The way to get resilience is to realize we don't have to live, we don't have to emotionally live through. We need to empathize but move on to compassion but we we grew up feeling like we were the we were the emotional generation mm -hmm. you know we were the listen to bright music you know generation no like, what does that mean like I, I i i'm just kind of referring to how music from the 60s is like country guys singing about for for a lot of it is like Revolution. Represented by Johnny Cash. And then to me, like music from the 2010s is like Arcade Fire or, or something like, you know, something something much softer and much, much more based in like, 
you know, well, I, obviously there's metal and, and rap in that period as well, but... But, but here's the thing. I, when we're called to, as humans, to become more than we were, we can. And we're being called to find a way to sustain ourselves and make a difference. It's small, whatever. Choose one. Don't choose everything. Don't say, I've got to save the Ukraine and I've got to save the climate. Choose, choose one thing and do something, no matter how small. Small. Do something small to start. But that starts compassion. And that starts different chemicals in your body than empathy does. Empathy freezes you. You can get frozen, which is kind of what, like, what dissociativeness is. Mm -hmm. um, everyone's nervous systems, understandably, have been overworked. Everyone's amygdala is probably really big right now because it's been exercised a lot. Uh, and that is the, that triggers us to feel, you know, the response of, you know, run, freeze, fight, all those uh, stress feelings. But if we move to compassion and go, okay, what am I good at? What can I do? And, and just this conversation to me mm -hmm. is a small bit of this is what we can do. We can start talking about it. We can start thinking that maybe young people shouldn't follow the cultural performative actions of people who are making money off of dissociative chic. They may understand what the cultural, what the, what the real reasons are behind that, but the 13-year-old doesn't. They're just going, oh, I'm just going to not care about anything. They don't deserve that, they, mm. you know? They, or they should at least know why it's happening, why those people are doing it, and get active themselves. I hear you. And I, I completely agree on the, on the basis of, like, yeah, there, we could just do something. Like, there's something that if, if, if we all just help a little bit or, or, or find our focus or, or find where we don't derive pleasure or purpose from mm -hmm. and act toward that, you know, it, it'll create a radical change. But but yeah, just in, in terms of the article, like I I get it. I don't get Pete Davidson. Well, but that's I, the thing. I get I get I get it because we're 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 not a war war generation. You know, we're, we're well, we are and we aren't. We're not a draft generation. You're, we're not a. You're a crisis generation. There have been a lot of crises. Right, which is all about starting from when you were four. Yes. And and the the towers got hit and you were there uh, and I carried you on my shoulders back home. It, it, a lot of emotion, a, a lot, lot of emotion. So maybe the idea of, of, no, you can't turn away of, of, but, 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 but just at least, at least in our fantasies, at least in our, in our media consumption, watching somebody who's like not feeling it, not feeling anything around them as an escape, you know, mm, interesting. Cause then you're like, Oh fuck, I wish I could have done that that is kind of cool. To me, it's kind of cool. I watched End of the Effing World. I could say fucking, but um, you know, the, all these Netflix shows, they all have characters that are dissociative. And you're you're right, and the article's right. But bottom line, there are people making money off of this newfound dissociative chic, and people just need to be aware of that. I hear and you. It, and if you get 
pleasure from it. I get that. I understand that. Um, but one really interesting thing, and I, I'm sure we've we've gone on quite a long time. There's a, a show out right now called Severance, and it's nightmarish. I can't watch more than one episode at a time, but in its way, this art form is is taking us through the question of what do we do for work? How much the, the, the fallacy of the work-life balance, what's really going on, what, what needs to change here in America specifically? And to go back to one other thing, you said, I don't wanna have children. I think you're right. Don't forget. We're breaking apart these cultural things that we thought we had to do that served other people other than us. So this is kind of an interesting time. Stay in your body and make your own decisions, have your own goals, and turn to community with help. And it may be that you want a family and, you know, a picket fence. It may be that you don't. Just even logistically. I mean, that's, that's the only thing. I think I'd be more than happy to embrace well, the journey of fatherhood, but logistically, it, 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 it's out of reason. Well, we were sold. We were sold an ideal, all of us. And, you know, famously in the 50s, but it went on from there. This idea of the woman stays home and takes care of the children, the man goes to work. Blah, blah, blah. None of it really works. The industrial era brought this whole thing, that's when uh, families stopped working together, is the industrial era, and men now went to work and women stayed home, and it didn't really work for anyone that well that I can see. Um, maybe a few, I haven't experienced it. So, you know, this is a, a reshuffling. Yes, it's stressful, of, yes, and it's hard to watch the suffering I'm not saying don't watch the suffering. I'm just saying don't watch it 24-7. Cool. What are we having for dinner, Mom? We are having moussaka, which is a Greek lamb and eggplant dish, uh, and rice, and horta, which is greens with uh, in a in a uh, lemon juice, garlic, and olive oil. And I'm making. When I'm very excited about this dessert. Um, it's one of my favorite pavlova. So that's, um, it, it's a wonderful dessert. This is what I'm really excited about. I'm using pine berries. Do you know what pine berries are? Um, like pine nuts? No. No, pine berries. They look like strawberries. They look like insipidly colored strawberries. They're almost completely white. And they are delicious. I just discovered them in the store, and they're wonderful. So there's uh, pavlova with pine berries, blueberries, and raspberries, and whipped cream, and um, uh, lemon curd. So that's going to be good. 